Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm excited to be here today with Anna Liss. Anna is the Managing Director of Business Development at Greater Rochester Enterprise, where she helps companies and entrepreneurs launch and expand their businesses in the nine-county Greater Rochester region. Anna is passionate about promoting economic growth and shared prosperity in Rochester, which is where she grew up. Previously, Anna served the office of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo as an Empire State Fellow and Policy Advisor. She has also worked for Cornell University's SC Johnson Graduate School of Management, the Center for Governmental Research, and spent time as a television news anchor, reporter, and producer in Elmira Corning, New York, and in Rochester. She holds a BA in journalism from Ithaca College's Park School of Communications, a master's in public administration from the University of Pennsylvania, and a certificate in innovation management and technology transfer from SUNY Empire State. In 2017, Anna was named among Destination Counselors International's 40 Under 40 in Economic Development across the entire U.S. Anna, truly a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Andrew. Sorry I gave you a mouthful there. In no, my, in no. My so bio. I, I was actually looking at doing doing my research uh, on on kind of your path, and it's hard to believe that you are still a young professional because looking at your at your resume <laughs> on LinkedIn, it looks like you've had about four careers worth of of different yeah. uh, different experiences. So we we're talking a little bit about kind of how you started in journalism and, and went to went to Ithaca and were in TV news for a while. Tell us a little bit about maybe what sparked that initial interest and, and how it led you to what you're doing now. Sure. So I'm your prototypical millennial, Andrew, where I've had, you know, two to three year stints here and there, here and there. Um, my current gig, I, I hope to be here for the long haul. <laughs> so um, to your point, I yes, I started out my career in journalism. I was really passionate about um, learning and storytelling growing up. And I, I knew that I wanted to study journalism. As you know, today, it's 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 always been an industry somewhat in crisis and always in flux. So really tremendous education. And I got into that industry and in television news right when social media was starting to become, you know, a required ingredient as part of the whole news package of products, you know? So like I joined Twitter, you know, the first few months that it was open to the public. Uh, so anyways, I, I started my career as a morning news anchor and producer uh, at, the, at, at the NBC affiliate in Elmira Corning, New York. Um, so I was there for about three years and it was right when the Great Recession really took hold. And Elmira Corning, um, it's not just New York State, also that, that viewing area covers parts of Pennsylvania. Um, it's about 45 minutes from Ithaca, where we both attended undergrad. Um, and it's it's been hit with hard times ever since really the 1970s. So it was really a fascinating place to observe the uh, fallout in the wake of that recession, job losses, um, downsizing, and particularly in the public sector, looking at city governments and municipal governments and how they were struggling with paying the bills because they were losing their tax base. So it got me interested in um, public policy and public finance. I really wanted to understand as a journalist, how does all this stuff work? How does the system work? Um, you know, what's the whole ecosystem, the infrastructure behind the ecosystem? So I I went to the, I applied and got into the University of Pennsylvania um, to get my master's in public administration. And I concentrated on economic development finance and I uh, did a a research stint at a think tank there to learn about how Philly was dealing with 
economic development and, you know, bringing back former Philadelphians to the city, um, retaining talent. And it was all with the intent. Um, I always had a chip on my shoulder as a Rochester native. I always wanted to come back and and help to create a better future for this community because I grew up and you grew up during a time when Kodak was on its long, slow slide. I was in a, I grew up in a Kodak household. Uh, same kind of fate befell uh, our other corporate juggernauts. And um, we weathered the storm pretty well. As you can see, it's a great, uh, we've got a lot going on right now. But anyways, that's sort of the long and short of it. Yeah, and, and along the way before you came back, uh, you were in Albany for a while as well. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us a little bit about about what it was like being in in you know that the kind of the, the policy side uh, of things. Absolutely. So, I actually after grad school, I came back. I moved back to Rochester. I worked for the Center for Governmental Research for a short time, doing municipal like fiscal analyses and consulting projects. And then I got recruited to work for my existing, my current organization, Greater Rochester Enterprise. So I was there for like a year and a half. And then I applied for this really exciting opportunity to work for Governor Andrew Cuomo. Um, He established a a program called the Empire State Fellows Program, which was geared towards mid-career young professionals with master's degrees who are interested in getting into the upper echelons of state government, executive leadership, and learning how it works and being able to influence policy without going through like the political, you know, a lot of those jobs are saved for people that work on campaigns and people that um, raise a lot of money. So anyways, it was it was a way for me at, uh, through a non-political path, get to work for New York State's current governor. And I, while I was there, I was there for about two years. Um, it feels like it was about five years because of all the action that takes place in the halls of the New York State Capitol. But I was able to influence uh, lots of different policies and programs that um, he was championing as governor during that time. So the Global New York Initiative to promote international trade. I helped to secure a budget uh, allocation to support more funding for arts and cultural institutions throughout the state, which I was really proud of. Um, And I also, you know, because state government isn't just about policies, it's also about dealing with emergencies. Um, I was part of the state operations team whenever like a snowstorm hit. And, you know, if there was a threat of extreme weather, like we all had to be on call to help direct resources. So it was fascinating, but, you know, I really wanted to come back to uh, the 585 eventually. That was always part of the plan. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that, that that had always been part of, of what you were, were dreaming about. So was it uh, an opening at, at GRE, Great Rochester Enterprise, that, that brought you back? Or, or what was it that w- was finally enough to yeah. make you move back home? So I don't know if you've ever made that drive from <laughs> Rochester to Albany on the thruway, but it is... Just last week. Yeah. I mean, it's... Sure, it's only, what, three and a half hours, but it feels like two days in the car because it's just a flat, straight line, you know? Um, Anyways, I got a little tired of making that commute, and I felt like I had made really great connections in the Capitol, and I wanted to continue in my career in public service, but I really, you know, New York State's a big state, and Albany really does feel like it's... um, like an extension of New York City, you know? So I kind of felt like a fish out of water and I, I missed my mom and dad. Anyways, so I um, 
applied for a job actually at Cornell University. And because Cornell, I love Ithaca and um, Cornell is only an hour and a half away. And it was an exciting job because it was in corporate relationship management for the business school and um, helping to shore up their relationships with um, big technology companies, big financial institutions. And I thought, hey, that sounds like a fun opportunity and it'll get me out of um, this 24-7 Politico kind of job and uh, get me closer to home. So I, I went and did that for about a year, loved it, learned a lot. But then my current boss, Matt Hurlbut, who's our CEO at Greater Rochester Enterprise, called me up and said, hey, Anna, I don't know if you heard, but uh, Rochester's um, going to be the recipient of the Upstate Revitalization Initiative funding, and we've got the AIM Photonics project coming up over at Eastman Business Park, and we've got all these exciting things going on. We'd really love to have you back. So that was in 2016, and I've been here ever since. Wonderful. All right. Well, we're certainly glad to have you. But for those, I, I mentioned it briefly in, in your intro, but um, for those that aren't maybe necessarily exactly familiar with what Greater Rochester Enterprise actually does, um, tell us a little bit about what GRE is all about. Sure. So Greater Rochester Enterprise, GRE, is a nonprofit organization, and it's supported by a group of investors who support the organization at varying levels, and they're all representatives of either the business community or institutions of higher education or local and county governments. So, for instance, Wegmans has a seat on our board. Constellation Brands has a seat on our board. So does Monroe County Economic Development. So does the city of Rochester Economic Development. Um, So does MCC and uh, U of R and RIT. So these are all institutions that have a vested interest in rising tides lift all ships, you know. So um, by chipping into a cause that's dedicated to creating more economic prosperity in Rochester, everybody around the table benefits. So we've been in existence since 2002 with that mission. 2002 um, was a period of time when um, there was a great deal of decline happening in Rochester. You were you were coming up in the world at that time, as was I. And uh, you might recall that us as you know teenagers, we wouldn't we wouldn't want to go to the city, you know, we wouldn't sure. want to, um, we were pretty much relegated to the burbs or, you know, the, it was a very segregated community and downtown was dark at night and there wasn't a lot of investment going on and Kodak had really hit its apex of its decline, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's the inspiration that you're the catalyst that drove the business community to create this organization. Uh, and similar organizations exist all throughout New York. There's Invest Buffalo, Niagara and Buffalo. There's the Center for Economic Growth in the Capital Region. There's a, a center state CEO in in the in the Syracuse area. We work with all of those guys on on projects. You know, we want to see Syracuse succeed as much as we want to see Rochester succeed. So we work together, and and we also compete for projects sometimes. Sure. Well, and you mentioned as well, kind of both of us, both being kind of growing up around the same time, being, uh, you know, being boomerangs as well. I remember, similar to you, that growing up, all you would hear about Rochester was about its decline, and especially the decline of the big three of, of Kodak, Xerox, Bausch and & Lomb, and, and, and how that was impacting Rochester. And, and then after being gone for a while and coming back, uh, really seeing a whole different Rochester in terms of the energy, the vibrancy, um, at least starting to move in the right direction in terms of activity going on downtown and, and investment going on downtown. 
Um, but, I, but I think, and I've, I've always said this to folks, is that sometimes it takes longer to change perception than reality. You know, the, the reality has certainly shifted, but there's still some people that won't come downtown and so they don't see everything that's going on. And so in, in essence, that's a big part of your job, right? It is to try to change that perception. So tell us a little bit about, you know, why it, those folks that, that maybe they're, they're slow to change those perceptions. What, what are they missing out on? What are, what are some of the, cause I know I, I actually, this is the first time for a, for a podcast that I've ever done research by going through Twitter. Cause I just went through your Twitter feed cause you're always <laughs> got all kinds of great stats and Twitter. studies and everything that, that, you know, good things about going on in Rochester. Thank you so much. Yeah. I try, try to make my Twitter feed very much a positive, you know, marketing engine for, uh, for Rochester for that very reason to dispel, you know, perception. Um, so yes, to your point, we have a perception issue. Um, we have for a long time. We're kind of coming out the end of it right now. I, I'm starting to notice that Rochester is beginning to get a little bit more cachet and sort of it's becoming like the brand identity is becoming more like there's more positive perceptions I guess out there in the world um so yes perception issues are a problem but um you have to like how do you you know Gandhi like be the change you wish to see in the world um I want people to love this place the way that I do and see the beauty and the potential that I see and see the real innovation and uh, exciting activity that I see. So I talk about it and I am uh, an open book and I reach out to people and I say, hey, you know, check out this article. <laughs> so um, a primary audience that Greater Rochester Enterprise deals with is uh, site selectors, site consultants. So these are people that work on behalf of large and medium-sized corporations that help those companies find locations, find talent markets for them to expand or relocate, whether you know maybe it's a company in Germany that wants to set up a U.S. operation, or maybe it's a startup in Toronto that wants to do contracts with the U.S. government, or maybe it's a big tech company out on the Bay Area that's getting priced out of San Francisco and wants to relocate their engineering team. So we work with those guys, and they advocate for Rochester when we provide them with the information that they need to help their clients be successful. So right now, the number one criteria that companies are searching for as they look at these making these expansion decisions is talent. They need to know that they're going to have exactly the right people trained, ready to recruit, um, eager to work for them, um, on day one, as soon as they sign a lease on a building, they want to know that they're going to have a line of people waiting for those jobs. Right now, it's a tight talent market across the country. The unemployment rate is at a historic low for at the moment. Um, so, you know, Rochester companies are competing for talent right now. That being said, we have uh, something that um, the Bay Area, that the capital, you know, Washington, D.C., um, even Pittsburgh wishes they have, which is a humongous uh, college and university talent pipeline. So about 18 colleges and universities, you know, across like uh, maybe a 50 mile radius and a huge proportion of those students uh, are not being cap recaptured into the labor market. So, so we can recapture them into the labor market 
when the jobs and the opportunities are created. So the number one thing that I talk about when I go and brag about Rochester is, hey, we're uh, one of the smartest um, talent pipelines that you can find anywhere. Plus, your lease rate's going to be about half of what it is in Manhattan or San Francisco. And uh, hey, the quality of life here ain't half bad either. Yeah, well, and in... Is is it right that I saw that we graduate more more STEM graduates than anywhere else in the in the country? Yeah. I was surprised when I saw that one. So our stat comes actually from the Center for Governmental Research. Some of my old colleagues over there they crunched the numbers, um, looking at federal data from the U.S. Department of Education. Um, they compared. Um, they took a group of degree programs spanning, like running the gamut of STEM, whether it's biochemistry or physics or engineering, and then they compared that with um, population, all the largest metropolitan areas in the United States. And on a per capita basis, Rochester produces the most um, four-year graduates and advanced degree graduates of anywhere else in the country in those STEM categories. Wow. That, that's pretty phenomenal. And like you're saying, I think that that's a, a huge opportunity, right? To say, we're not maybe retaining all of these all of these folks as as we could be if there were jobs to provide them. And so that could be a, a, a strategy when you're when you're reaching out to some of these companies. So that that actually leads me into my next question because I was curious and, and I know that ev- everything is uh, top secret and codenamed and everything the, the the work that you all do, but maybe you could just give us kind of like a hypothetical example of, what, what does it actually look like when you're recruiting a company or, or talking to some of these site selectors? What are some of the top things that, you know, questions that they have? What does that process kind of look like as you're guiding them through of, you know, trying to convince them to come to Rochester? Sure. So I'll give you two recent real examples because they've already been announced, so no more top secret name, code names. And and I'm going to give away my, my trade secrets here because you're going to find out how unscientific my code names actually are. So... Uh, a couple of years ago, I was contacted by uh, NextCore, which is a tech incubator that you're aware of in town. They'd been contacted by this really innovative, well-funded, venture-backed startup out of Toronto um, that was working on this super high-tech ink technology application whereby, you know, you can print out money or passports or secure government documents in such a way that they're absolutely impossible to counterfeit. Anyways, so they use optic, optical, excuse me, technology as part of the process. And um, they, of course, had heard about Rochester because, first of all, we're not very far from Toronto. And um, they knew that we are the optics, photonics, and imaging capital of the U.S. We're really a, quite a hub here. So they reached out to NextCore, and then NextCore passed them along to us because that's really what GRE does. We help to facilitate the process of helping a company um, make a decision to locate here or expand here. So put us in touch with them, and that was several years ago, and I, I codenamed it Project Mars because the company was housed at this really cool innovation incubator accelerator in Toronto called Mars, <laughs> so the Mars incubator. So um, the, the company is called Opalux, and today they are. So this is a, this this will give you a sense of how long these projects sometimes take. So over that period of time, I helped to facilitate connections between the company and people at Kodak that had equipment that could help them um, bring their 
business to fruition and help them also establish a U.S. presence so that they could do business with U.S. government clients. So anyways, they, uh, they're they about to sign a lease at Eastman Business Park, and they were recruited to participate in NextCore's Luminate Accelerator Program, which is a partially state-funded program that helps um, fund optics companies and keep them in Rochester. And they were a winner in that program. They, mm. they got into it and they have they were awarded funding. So um, that was kind of an organic lead that just sort of landed in our laps. And now they're employing people here and working on some really cool stuff. Um, another project um, was an existing company in Victor, New York, which it was just announced yesterday. The company's called Redcom Laboratories. And they actually, it's interesting, they started out as a telecommunications company making telecom radio devices for military applications. But as that side of their business started to, you know, decline a little bit, backtrack, they started to invest in um, doing contract manufacturing of other electronic devices. And now that's like the majority of where their revenue is coming from. And they were seeing sales kind of go through the roof. And they were like, we're about to burst at the seams. We need to start hiring people. We need to buy new equipment. So they called us up at GRE and said, hey, can you help us out? And we lined up all of the right people, whether it was Ontario County or the state of New York, um, the community college systems, helped them access grants to, to train new employees on new equipment, help them access incentive programs to offset the cost of their new equipment and tax credits to support the job creation. And now they, they just employed, they're employing like 21 new people over there and working with FLCC as well. So that's just a couple of examples. And then another project I'm working on is more traditional. It was through a site consultant that brought it to us with their own code name. And then um, this company is about to sign on the dotted line um, to, to locate here and create 30 jobs in an advanced manufacturing field. And um, as they got closer and closer to making the decision to locate to Rochester, it was all about the available talent and really the infrastructure that's here to support the work that they do, which is in lithium-ion battery um, recycling. So um, we really have some unique assets that support some really interesting emerging industries. And that's all due to, um, you can thank Eastman Kodak, um, Bausch & Lomb, Xerox. They left us, even though the, the job counts aren't so high as they used to be, they left us with some tremendous um, real estate infrastructure, equipment, talent. They established academic programs at all of our colleges and universities that um, support growing supply chain businesses today. So anyways, that's a little bit of a word salad. But as you can see, it's not really an exact science what we do. We just figure it out. You know, we make sure that people have the resources they need. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of science, I, I was thinking uh, again about some of the some of the ways that we can cheerlead for Rochester. And, and actually, you mentioned earlier there, there, you know, could be some organizations in San Fran or some of those larger markets that that might want to move, and there there actually have been a few stories where maybe a few years ago would be unheard of, but now they're they're coming and they're expanding or even moving to Rochester because of the combination of talent and you know lower cost of living or lower expenses or things like that. Um, but then on a broader scale and, and to bring in bring in the science, uh, there's a recent program. Uh, Jonathan Gruber came to town. He is an MIT economist basically did a study and ended up writing a book about it, about how to have you know more inclusive growth at cities outside of some of these major hubs, right? And he, based on different criteria that he set, uh, basically put, I, I 
correct me if I'm wrong, but Rochester as one of the number one opportunities for some of that investment as a hub. Is, is that kind of, I, I know that you are at that program and tweeting all about it. So tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So we, one of my colleagues called it like free advertising for us that we didn't even, it was unsolicited. He just did a big research project and basically found out what we already know, which is that Rochester is great and ripe for increased um, uh, economic uh, innovation. So essentially what he wanted to point out was that, um, you know, the clustering effect that you see in the more expensive coastal hubs, like in the Bay Area or in New York City or in D.C. or Boston, that clustering is reaching a point of saturation whereby... Uh, companies are having a really hard time competing in those markets. Number one, because like, let's say you are a medium-sized software company and you you want the best talent. You want to recruit those Stanford grads. You want to recruit those Cornell grads. Um, but so maybe you do, and then maybe one of those grads is, is handed an offer the next day from Google for three times what you can pay them. So that's the problem that they're dealing with there. The other part of it is the cost of doing business. So let's say you're a venture-backed startup, you know, you're not hurting for capital, but you've only got a limited amount of it and you really have to prove your concept or your product. You don't want to burn through all that capital paying for your lease, paying for the air conditioning, paying for um, your employees' salaries and benefits. You want to pay for engineering and sales. You want to power your sales engine and make sure that your product works. So anyways, a market like Rochester offers the best of both worlds where, um, first of all, you can look at, I have numbers to prove that we have really um, high retention rates here. So employees stick with their jobs a lot longer here than they Hmm. do in other bigger markets. Like a, a local employer, Datto, would tell you our Rochester workforce, our Rochester team, um, the numbers are, you know, the retention numbers are much longer than they are in their Boston office. So, so that's a benefit to companies, plus the fact that our average wages are um, far less in those high-tech fields than they are in the costlier markets and the real estate's a little cheaper, plus we have RIT, the co-op program there, U of R, even further east and south to Cornell and Syracuse University or west to UB. Um so anyways, it's start the the words starting to get out. So it's like, you know how have you ever like liked a band or a a like a artist or something before they were cool, <laughs> you know? Like I liked I liked the Grateful Dead before anybody else did. You know, I'm sort of like that about Rochester. I'm like, "Oh, sure, you guys think Rochester's cool now. I've been rooting for this place <laughs> since, you know, 2004." So anyways, that's sort of um that's sort of what we're seeing right now. And RIT, to their credit, has a really actively engaged West Coast Alumni Advisory Board made up of a lot of really well-connected tech executives that are alumni of RIT. And they're starting to realize like, oh, we could, sure, we could offset offshore our you know engineering team to Romania, or we could move it to Rochester, New York, and it's a lot easier to get there. And the we can all speak the language and da 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 da. So the word's getting out. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. So you are one one of few people I think that uh, that out out cheerleads for Rochester for me. But uh, uh, I I am interested as well uh, to hear your perspective and and maybe the 
concerns, I guess, of, of companies and the questions that they ask of what are some of the things that, that you think are holding back, you know, even that, that further growth and development in Rochester? Sure. So um, conscious capitalism is about uh, inclusivity and equity, right? At the end of the day, equity is about Absolutely. putting others' needs before your own, like thinking about things in terms of community and, you know, we're all humans and what's the number one characteristic of humanity? It's connectivity. We want to connect with one another. We want to be seen, heard, respected, loved, you know, feel like we have all of our needs met. So to that point, I think in Rochester, we're a little bit farther behind other communities that are more innovative and thinking more outside the box as it relates to things like just really getting creative and putting 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 our money where our mouth is or whatever the idiom is about um, truly raising up the next generation of people coming from needs based like high needs neighborhoods in the city in particular helping them get a great education helping them access um, workforce training programs that can help them power our companies and help our companies succeed, you know, that rising tides raise all ship notion. Again, I think we're still struggling a little bit with truly ensuring that great opportunities here are available to everybody. And that's something that I see starting to shift. Absolutely. I think, you know, our current um, city hall administration, you know, they're really getting behind it and there's a lot more collaboration that we're seeing take place. But, you know, these things take time. It doesn't, they didn't build Rome in a day. So that's something that I really passionately want to see because, you know, my grandmother, um, members of my family went through city schools, lived in the city, um, you know, lived during a time, I think, when maybe things were a little bit more, even though it was like a different time in terms of like what, you know, the social and political norms in the United States. But I, I think um, Rochester was a little bit easier to to um, get around back then and, you know, easier to navigate. And I, I just, I would love to see more humanity in the boardrooms in this community and see more uh, creative collaboration. Yeah, I think Rochester, prob- definitely true for Rochester, but probably a, a microcosm for, for all of the country, right? In terms Absolutely. of the, the upward mobility or at least the potential to, to make it, you know, not having some of those means and privileges. And, and so I guess I'm curious from your perspective, uh, a couple things. One being, how, how do you see businesses' role in, in being a part of that more inclusive prosperity? You know, you talked about workforce development programs and things. And then what are some of the things going on, whether at GRE or at the state level or, or you know, different grants or things that are out there to try to encourage more businesses to have more of that uh, you know, conscious, community-minded investment mm-hmm. ethos? So I heard at a recent um, uh, panel discussion I attended, somebody talked about um, you know, I, actually, I think you were there. It was a te- that Tech Rochester panel discussion talking about diversity in technology environments. And um, one of the panelists mentioned that, you know, you want to get more applicants coming through the door, people from diverse backgrounds, people who um, are creative and have different ideas. You know, change your job description. Take out, you know, a lot of these job postings look like, 
you know, these are all requirements. Like you must be certified in X, Y, and Z, and you must have seven years of experience and you must have had managerial experience. But a lot of those things can be taught and a lot of those things can be worked around and or be substituted with other skills and assets. So I think companies that are starting to look at how they post job opportunities and taking taking away all the gobbledygook and just really saying, you know, here's our culture, you know, we believe in supporting our team, you know, like like, do you want to be in this club or, you know, do you want to be part of, like, you spend 80% of your time in the office, like, you want to have a great quality of life there. So I think those types of companies are going to be the ones that win in the end. I don't know if that's happening a lot in Rochester currently, but I will say that Datto, which I mentioned earlier, they are um, hosting an event coming up pretty soon. I think it's next week. Um, They need to hire people like yesterday, like they're just growing by leaps and bounds. So they're just opening up their doors to their office and it's a public event and they're like, hey, Rochester, come on in, you know, have some refreshments, meet our team, check out our beautiful office space. And uh, while you're at it, you know, if you want to apply for something, um, all the right people are going to be in the room. So hmm. I, I think that's, I haven't seen that happen here before. And I'm like, cool. All right. Let's, so if they're doing it, then that means, you know, their competitors might start doing it. And that means more companies might start doing it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. And, and, and now if you'll, uh, if you'll give me, a, I'll throw you a little bit of a curveball here. Cause I, I'm, I'm curious just based on your experience and perspective and knowing at least a little bit about, about conscious capitalism and, and really, you know, these, these purpose-driven businesses, they focus on culture. Uh, it ends up having a positive impact on the bottom line because it attracts and retains talent, you know, at, at a different level. It engages employees and gets them to, you know, give, give even more of their, of their ideas and energy to, to the organization. Um, I think that if that's true at a company level, that it could also potentially be true at, at, a, at a regional level. Like if we became known around around this community for having more conscious businesses, to, to, to your point earlier, there'd be more companies who may be investing in workforce development or training or, th- or more inclusive cultures. And, and also maybe it would have a positive impact on retaining more, more talent in Rochester and, and bringing more people that maybe wanted to come back after they graduate, all those, all those STEM graduates. So- I, I'm curious if, if those sorts of questions ever come up in, you know, from, from site selectors or from companies, if they want to hear about, you know, the, the vibrancy of downtown, but also the kind of cultures of, the, of their fellow companies and what the vibe is and, and how maybe from your ex- experience and expertise, how could we position conscious capitalism as kind of like this differentiator for the region? Sure. So to address part of your question, I attended a a conference back in October uh, in Detroit called Trust Belt. So it's all about like Rust Belt economic development. And there was a panel of um, site selectors, site consultants, and they were all talking about basically giving us the inside baseball, like here's how we do things, here's how we're changing, how we're doing things, here's what we look for, here's what we don't look for. So to help us economic development folks do our jobs better. So they all, um, in the wake especially of Amazon HQ2, that whole uh, <laughs> big debacle, um, not really a debacle, it was exciting. But anyways, so they were talking about what are they looking for now? So we all talk about talent, 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 but at the end of the day, talent equals 
people. People are all different and everybody has a different, you know, quirky personality and interests. And anyways, they're starting to do, they're starting to look at social media metadata on the internet to gauge the, basically like the tone, the attitude of a community. So basically like, like think about Twitter, you know, like uh, everybody, let's say it's a big snowstorm in the middle of May, <laughs> you know, in Buffalo and you know, everybody's complaining. And so they're going to look at that and they're going to be like, oh, sad face emoji on Buffalo. Everybody's in a bad mood. Um, and so they want to see more positive engagement um, and more positive like community boosterism um, coming from a community, and they also um, want to see responsiveness. So there was a company, um, it's a, a beer um, manufacturer out of uh, Scotland that was thinking about establishing an operation in the United States. So what did they do? They, they went to go scope out um, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Columbus, Ohio. And the CEO um, went on Twitter and was like, hey, Charlotte, you know, landing at 8 o'clock tonight, any good place for me to grab a beer? And like crickets, like nobody responded. Did the same thing in Columbus, and it was like an explosion. It went viral. Oh, wow. They ended up choosing Columbus for their expansion. So so there's that aspect of it. The other thing the site consultants talked about was companies are building into their matrixes as they look at regions where they want to expand. They're building an ideal employee profile. So sort of a, a character of sorts or caricature of what they want to see in their ideal um, employee, whether it's work ethic or education credentials or, you know, attitude. And they're using that metadata to figure out if that ideal employee is available in any particular market in abundant numbers sufficient to meet their needs. So, and your other question was about how do we create a culture in Rochester that makes it a destination, like a conscious capitalism capital. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you have to, so I'm, you took microeconomics, sure. smarty pants with all your degrees. Um, you know that companies aren't going to do any, like in a, in a capitalistic environment, um, companies don't often do anything that they don't have to do. Everything's got to be profit driven. I mean, these are this is assuming that a company doesn't have a soul, right? Which they kind of don't, but I guess the Supreme Court thinks that they do. Well, you know, I think on <laughs> on the long term, anyways, the longer the longer time horizon you look, the better these conscious capitalism companies right. do. So that's part of the beauty of it, anyway. Yes. So incentives to support conscious capitalism um, do exist in New York State that are unique. Um, New York has always been a very progressive state to, I think, its credit. Um, we have programs in place that um, really cut through all the red tape and make it super easy for companies to recruit um, um, veterans to um, support women and minority-owned businesses in obtaining lucrative um, contracts with state government. We have programs that help to train and provide credentials to um, uh, members of the population that are disabled or differently abled. Um, here in Rochester, you might be aware that we have one of the highest rates of volunteerism anywhere in the country, like on a per capita basis. And um, organizations like the United Way, CDS Monarch, um, 
gosh, there's just a whole bunch of them in this town, um, have created an environment that makes it super easy for our employers to recruit um, talent that comes from different backgrounds and helps to spread that prosperity a little bit more. So I think um, providing more and more resources to these innovative nonprofit organizations, making sure that the generation that's coming up into leadership roles, us millennials and the Gen Zers, um, which we're pretty we're pretty uh, open-minded when it comes to supporting our fellow mankind, um, making sure that we're uh, given opportunities to rise up through the ranks and help to influence corporate policies, I think is going to bode well for us. But already I see Rochester as an example setting community as it relates to conscious capitalism. Because look at, so who are our biggest employers here? Wegmans. Look at Wegmans. They mm-hmm. employ their Helping Hands program. They invest so much money in this community and in education and um, supporting um, food, making sure that everybody has access to healthy food. You know, they're a tremendous beacon of example that's admired all over the world. Um, the University of Rochester, um, a lot of the research that they're doing supports all of these theories and um, they support a great deal of, um, like they're, they're the talent pipeline that feeds the success of a lot of our regional employers. Um, anyways, I, I think we've got a lot going for us in that regard, but um, sky's the limit. Wonderful. Well, as we as we kind of start to wrap up, then um, one of the things that I've seen that there, there's some research. I've I've seen some things talking about how people are leaving upstate in droves, and then I also saw oh, you retweet something about how we're one of the top destinations for for millennials. So I guess I'm trying to I'm trying to parse all the data. Which sure. is it? Are, are we are we gaining or are we losing millennials? And and what what do millennials and, and maybe even Gen Z now now that now that us millennials are getting old? Sure. Um, you know what what do, what do these new generations want? in terms of uh, both a workplace and, a, and somewhere to, to live, work, and play, I guess. So, you know, talk about social media metadata. Whenever the Democrat and Chronicle or someone else publishes an article like, New York State's losing people to Florida, you know, all of the, <laughs> the baby boomers that retweet it and they're like, yeah, lower my taxes. It's like, okay, that's your opinion, but let's call a spade a spade. Let's actually look at the numbers. So... Incrementally, Rochester's population as a metropolitan area has been growing through the years. We haven't lost people. We're, it's just really retirees are, are relocating oftentimes. So um, as a millennial who is a statistic and has student loan debt and um, you know didn't come from a trust fund or anything like that, I myself have postponed making certain important life decisions. You know, when I needed to get a new car, I didn't get a new car. I got a really, really, really old used car. You know, I, I have, I've been really careful about how I'm spending my money because it's a limited resource. So anyways, Rochester uh, was a really great fit for me, not only because I'm a native, but because it's super affordable. So um, what we're starting to see, you probably have been observing this anecdotally, is the boomerang effect. You're a boomerang or yeah. I'm a boomeranger. People that grew up here, maybe relocated to a bigger city, got a great job, started a family, um, realizing like, oh my gosh, I, I can't afford to put my three-year-old through um, preschool in New York City. I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. Um, 
hey, Rochester, you can, you can buy a house for $130,000 there? You know, like the, what I'm paying for rent in Manhattan, I could buy a chateau on Canandaigua <laughs> Lake. So anyways, that's, that's what we're starting to see. And then on top of that, we're also starting to see people move here from other parts of the country, other parts of the world for job opportunities um, because of our companies, particularly our software and technology companies recruiting talent, also the colleges and university systems bringing, drawing people here. And then once they get here, they love it and they don't want to leave because you know you've lived other places. Um, don't you get frustrated waiting to, if it takes longer than 20 minutes to get anywhere? Or, <laughs> you know, isn't it fun that you can go to a Red Wings game and it only costs like five bucks? There was terrible traffic <laughs> this morning. It took me like an extra five minutes to get to where I was Yeah, going. and you're like, my life is so hard. But, you know, think about if you lived in Atlanta. Yep. So anyways, that's what we're seeing and and we're hopeful, hopeful that that trend is going to continue. That trend is what sparked the renaissance that you saw happen in Pittsburgh that only started in believe it or not, 2010. So it was only 10 years ago. And now they're considered, you know, the Silicon Valley of <laughs> the Midwest, essentially. Sure. So, you know, that could be us and it will be us. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Well, somehow we're out of time, but but I'm really excited to, to have you on this program talking a little bit about what you do at Greater Rochester Enterprise, and I appreciate your time. Uh, but more importantly, all that you're doing uh, in the in-between time and, and each and every day to really be a cheerleader for Rochester, bringing businesses to Rochester, hopefully starting to change that perception and maybe even helping us position Rochester as a, as a hub of conscious capitalism. So thanks so much, Anna. Thank you, Andrew. Right back at you. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.